As we go to the word this morning, a, a word of thanks, Mike. Um, the music has been helpful to us this morning. It is, uh, we, we often sing and pray our faith. And uh, Mike, thank you. Blaze and Austin as well. Those are words we needed to hear, reminders in this week. And so we go to the Word, talk a little bit more about this as we go through this exploration of God's ways and, and purposes in a world such as ours. This begins a summer sermon series on the life of Joseph. We've heard a little bit from the life of Joseph earlier in the reading from Genesis 50 that Austin brought to us, but we're going to spend more time this morning as we begin the series, not in the life of Joseph so much as in Paul's letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 8, we will be reading verses 26 through 39. So listen for God's word. Paul is writing in Romans 8, it's a, it's a spectacular chapter, it begins with those famous words there, is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul then begins to speak about the hope we have, things unseen, something coming we can't imagine, a new heaven and a new earth, all of, all of creation eagerly awaiting as the sons and daughters of God receive their inheritance. And then he talks about the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, working in and through us, a, a ministry that reminds us who we are, the spirit of adoption that allows us, you and I, to, to call out to the sovereign God, the makers of, of heaven and earth, Abba, Father. And now he continues talking about this ministry of God the Holy Spirit, Likewise, he begins, in, in other words, also, Romans 8, 26, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought in a week like this. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? 
It is God who justifies who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And so we begin this summer sermon series. It's going to be super. Sensational. Summer sermon series as pastors on a sabbatical. Our, our preachers, what, a, what an all-star lineup. Uh, I begin this morning, then that will be followed by Lauren and then Lynn and then in the uh, cleanup position, number four, Drew, followed by Chad, Austin, Blaze, Petra. We're going to call Blaze back and then I will uh, finish the series on August 14th. In between, on, on two Sundays, first Sunday in July, first Sunday in August, we will have a guest preacher, not preaching on Joseph, just to give us a little bit of a break. But, boy, I would encourage you to be here. The Life of Joseph, Genesis 37 to 50. Read it sometime this week and then come week after week, Lord's Day after Lord's Day this summer, and, and listen as those we know well reflect on this life, this story. I'm going to be here as, as often as I can. Let me, let me tell you something, uh, not to be the hypocrite, but you won't see us here every Sunday. Um, sometimes, as, as we've been gone for several weeks right now, sometimes it's grandkids. I mean, priorities have to be made. So sometimes we'll be away, but also our presbytery of the EPC, Presbytery of the Midwest, has asked me to moderate the session of the EPC Church in Ossian, just south of Fort Wayne. They've lost their pastor kind of unexpectedly, and, and so I will be moderating the session, which means I'll also be at least once a month administering the sacraments for that congregation as well as preaching uh, from time to time. So I may be gone in Ossian. I'm going to help guide that congregation now through a pastor search. We've got to kind of put our pieces together and, and then begin that search. So this, this may be a, a somewhat prolonged process, but one that I think will be worth it. Uh, I told them I'd take the job so long as they don't delay too long. So I hope that we can get this done. So we're looking at, at the life of Joseph. We sometimes remember him as Joseph in the coat of many colors. I think Lauren's going to bring us uh, the coat of many colors next week. But we might look at this story, the whole story of the life of Jesus, as from the, the coat of many colors to the rescue of many brothers. And we heard just a bit of that this morning. So spoiler alert, if you don't know the Joseph story, 
we heard the end of it this morning. Blaze is going to give us a lot more on this later in the summer. But this is a, a critical passage. It, it turns out okay. Boy, there are going to be some weeks as, as we're going through the summer and we say, how, how can this turn out okay? This looks pretty tough for Joseph. But at the end, we hear these words. Joseph is going to turn to his brothers who have, who have done him wrong in a, in a big way. We'll see that next week. And then, then Lynn, I think you're bringing us, uh, boy, he is, he is not a good guy. So, but Joseph is going to say to his brothers who did not do him well, as for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, and they did. But God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So, so stay tuned. From the coat of many colors to the rescue of many brothers. The story of, of the life of Joseph is going to raise a lot of questions for us, but maybe significantly and profoundly this. What does it mean for us, as it meant for Joseph, to live in a world where God's good intent is more powerful than the evil intent of human persons. What are we to make of this? Now, now as we go through the story, there's always the danger as we read Scripture to, to universalize everything. That is to say, well, this is a story about how things always turn out well. Don't worry. Everything will be fine in the end. We universalize. Don't worry when you face your giants because all you got to do is find five smooth stones. Who are your giants? What are your five smooth stones? Don't worry when there's a storm raging on the sea. Jesus will call you out to walk on the water. We universalize what are particular stories, and we, and we should not. These stories have a particular place in God's big story of the salvation of humankind. The Joseph story is a critical story in God's work to bring about the culmination of all things, the salvation of humankind. So we can't universalize. Don't worry when your brothers throw you in a pit. God will get you out. It doesn't always work that way. So should we universalize? What shall we do? How do we, how do we take this story? What are we to make of it? And that's why we're turning to Romans 8, which is a more universal statement. Paul's teaching to his Roman Christian friends, to all of them. I recently heard someone say that Romans 8.28 is his favorite verse, and, and that may be for, for some of you as well. Romans 8.28, it's one of those verses we memorize. In the ESV, it reads like this, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, various translations put the words in, in different order, but this. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Well, what does that mean? The old King James puts it this way. All things work together for good for them that love God. Sometimes we just shorten it. All things work together for good, and we, we put that on our coffee mugs. We get some plank of barn wood and, 
and emblazon it across it and then sell it at Hobby Lobby and hang it in our family rooms. All things work together for good. Well, can we say such a thing in a week like this? Can we say to the parents of 19 children in Uvalde, Texas, all things work together for good. What does this mean? You see, we, we need more than just some rabbit's foot theology. Some, some idea that, that God will always arrive just in time. The Calvary will show up. That somehow Christians are tragedy immune. My goodness, it's, it's not true. In, in our lived lives, is that true? That, that somehow God puts a big bubble around us? That we're immune from the things of this evil world? That tomorrow will always be a better day? The Joseph story is going to shatter our coffee mugs. It's going to splinter our barn wood planks. It will call into question some of those trite sayings that we live by. When God closes one door, he opens another. Except when he doesn't. Every cloud has a silver lining. Except when it doesn't. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. Sometimes you can't. So on the one hand, we can, we can tend to, to trivialize the passage. Don't worry, everything will be okay. The, the other danger is to so postpone the hope we have in Christ that it's always the, the sweet by and by. That has been abused in history. The serfs of feudal Europe, the enslaved people of antebellum south promised that someday by and by, but for now, get back to work. There is a, a song in the old musical, Godspell. Now, Godspell seems so 70s, I thought, man, I am not going to, that's going to date me. But then I realized, I realized not too many years ago in, in our town in Pennsylvania, the, the high school put on a production of Godspell, and I looked, Godspell is playing tonight in Chicago. It, it's some sort of upscale theater. Godspell is still popular. So from Godspell, you may remember this one, done in kind of a, a soft shoe fashion. I am not going to do that. Thank you. But it goes like this. When you feel sad or under a curse, your life is bad, your prospects are worse. Your wife is crying, sighing, and your olive tree is dying. Temples are graying, teeth are decaying, credit is weighing your purse. Your mood and your robe are both deep blue. You bet that Job had nothing on you. Ah, don't forget that when you get to heaven, you'll be blessed. Yes, it's all for the best. You remember that? Some of us want to, to live by that. Yes, it's all for the best. No matter what, it's all for the best. Again, this week calls that into question. 
It declares such a statement to be at least insensitive. But more than that, biblically and theologically bankrupt. It's not always for the best. But Joseph, Joseph will tell his brothers, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good. What does it mean to live in a world like ours, the world of Uvalde, Texas, and the supermarket in Buffalo, and, and so much more, and know that we have a God who intends things for good? What does that mean? Well, let's go back and, and look at the text once more. Again, Romans 8, Paul is talking about the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit, who comes to us and gives us that spirit of adoption that we might say to God, the maker of all things, Abba, Father. Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Again, thanks, Blaze, for for bringing that to us. As, As we pray... The ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is to help us in our prayer. How do we pray? What do we pray? Yeah, the, the thoughts and prayers seem so trivial, but, but we must pray. How do we pray? It is the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, to, to help us pray in times such as this. He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes. We're going to hear about Christ the intercessor in a minute, but here the Spirit intercedes for the saints, for you and me, according to the will of God. And then this, that favorite verse, that that coffee mug verse. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that He, Christ, might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So again, the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, working in our lives and helping us to see God at work. So, so let's dissect the passage, the verse, just a little bit. We know that for those who love God, well, well who are those? Who are those that, that love God? Romans 8 has already let us know. For those who are in Christ, there is now no condemnation. They are called the saints. In verse 33, they will be called the elect. We are those who have been adopted and are now heirs with Christ. We are those with hope, the things unseen. We know that for those who love God, for those who have come into the embrace of the Father through the love of the Son and the ministry of the Spirit, those who love God, all things. And see, sometimes in our trivializing, we make this everything. Everything's going to work for good. I missed my flight. Well, God must have a purpose on that. Well, maybe he doesn't. Not everything, but but all things. And what is he all things? Paul, again, is going to tell us what he has in mind when he says all things. It's a phrase he used repeatedly, 
all things. What all things? Well, verse 17, our suffering with Christ. This inward groaning as we await our redemption. There is a, an inward groaningness about our lives as Christians. All things. Verse 35, he begins to list them. They don't sound all that good and a little bit more important than missing the plane. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. All things. The disasters of nature. The tragedy of human evil. Verse 38 and 39, death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, death, all things. In all things, God is working together. God is pulling the pieces together. God, the Father, through the Spirit, by the Son, who we are told intercedes for us. Do you get that? The ministry of the Spirit to intercede for us, to stand before God on our behalf. The ministry of the Son to intercede for us, to stand before the throne of grace and say our name. I love him. I love her. And for good. God working for good. What is that good? Well, redemption. Glorification. Good is the love we have received from God through Christ. That's, a good, that's God working for good, for his own glory. That we might know his love. And as we go to Joseph this summer, we're going to see something of a, a case study. Not necessarily something that we should universalize, because this is an important singular story in God's greater story of the salvation of humankind, of, of the coming of all things made new. But in this particular story, we do see a case study of God at work. But remember, not everyone who is falsely charged of attempted rape, three weeks with Drew, you'll want to come for that one, not everyone falsely charged will go on to have unprecedented power, rise to the rank of prime minister, be used by God in his plan for human history. It doesn't always turn out that way. And don't we know that's true? Despite the fact that we sometimes wish it weren't, we know that not all things have an immediate, immediate consequence for good. Even if in the, in the grander sweep of things we can see some good, we know that that in this immediate sense, there, there's no good here. Would we dare say to the parents of Uvalde, oh, God's working his good out. Don't worry. This weekend, we, we celebrate Memorial Day tomorrow. Memorial Day, not Veterans Day, Memorial Day, that day when we remember those who, in the words of Abraham Lincoln, gave their last full measure of devotion for our freedom, we remember Memorial Day. On June 6th, 1944, a young soldier from South Bend died on the beaches of 
Normandy, mowed down by German bullets. And it happens that that young soldier was my mother's fiance. Well, that wedding never happened. Three years later, my mom married my dad. Four years later, I was born. But the math is not so simple as to say, well, God had to kill that soldier on the beach of Normandy in order that my mom could marry my dad, in order that I could be here this morning. The math is not that simple, and please don't make it that simple. To that mourning family in South Bend in 1944, we don't say, oh, it's all for the best. We had to get your son out of the way. That's not the way it works. Some of you know that, uh, well, it's 19 years ago now. I had a, a close encounter with what could have been terminal cancer. Well, obviously, I'm here. I'm a survivor. The story so far has a very happy ending, but it did not have to be that way. In, in the same town where we lived, uh, an acquaintance, not a great friend, but an acquaintance, just a bit older than me, had done the same thing that, that I had done. It was that age where the doctor says, you know, you ought to go get a colonoscopy. By the way, I'm, I'm poster boy for colonoscopies. If your doctor says, go get a colonoscopy, go and get it. It just may save your life. The oncologists tell me I have to say that whenever I talk about this. Get your colonoscopy. Please do. Well, Jim got a colonoscopy. He was told to find a surgeon, as was I. For some reason, he postponed, and that was sort of a part of Jim's personality. And we would meet again later in the cancer ward. We'd sometimes be sitting next to each other as they shot that poison, the chemo, into our veins. But for Jim, there was no happy ending. A few months after chemo ended, Jim died. And he left a young widow and two teenage kids who desperately needed their dad. The math of God's providence and care is not always easy for us to see. We don't always know what's going to happen. And we can't always say it's all for the best, at least not from, from our perspective. And we don't have God's perspective all the time, except, except for the things unseen as Paul will say. For the Christian, there is this promise, and it is universal in Romans 8.37, that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And pastorally, we don't necessarily say all these things to the parents of Uvalde, not, not today, not this week, but those who, who know Christ, and we're told that many of those parents were faithful Catholics and faithful Baptists, this heavily Hispanic town where, where there are a lot of churchgoers, we can say that, that they are more than conquerors through him who loved them.
And that's a whole lot better than saying, well, don't worry, everything will be okay. Because not everything is always okay. And it's not going to be okay. We know statistically that there are, are a number of marriages in Ovadi which are not going to survive this tragedy. Depression and, and despair and, and addiction will take its toll over the next many years in Uvalde. We know that. It's going to be hard. But we also know that we have a God who is bigger and better and whose love is so strong that we cannot be separated from us. One of the great reformed documents from, from the time of the Reformation, it's used especially among our, our Dutch reformed cousins, is the Heidelberg Catechism. And its first question is this. This was to be memorized by little Dutch boys and girls. What is your only comfort in life and in death? And might we say this? Even today, as brothers and sisters in Christ in Uvalde and in, in Buffalo, what is your only comfort in life and in death? That I belong in body and soul, in life and in death, not to myself, but to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who at the cost of his own blood has fully paid for all my sins and has completely freed me from the dominion of the devil, that he protects me so well that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that everything must fit his purpose for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. That's our hope. That's the hope of parents and loved ones and family members in, in Buffalo and in Uvalde, that we belong body and soul and life and in death, not to ourselves, but to a faithful Savior. And there are no shortcuts. The way is, is hard and steep. The gate is narrow. No shortcuts. But in the end, in the end, we come to this time, Revelation 21, 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And the tears that now fill parents in Uvalde, every tear wiped from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. But in the meantime, in the meantime, like Joseph, we, we live in a time where brothers betray brothers, where the righteous are falsely charged, where marriages end, addictions win, cancer ravages, wars are lost, children are slaughtered, jobs end. 
it's not for the best. Not yet. We weep and we grieve. But our God still intends good. And that good comes. Not yet, but already we know his love. And we know his strength and we know his courage. Some this week have quoted Psalm 30. His anger is but for a moment, his favor is for a lifetime. And then this, weeping may tarry for a night, but joy comes with the morning. And weeping may tarry for a a week of nights and a month of nights and, and a year of nights. We need to allow the weeping to continue for as long as it needs to continue. But joy comes with the morning. Peter writes in 2 Peter, we have the prophetic word fully confirmed. We'll do well to pay attention to it as a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star, his name is Jesus, rises in your hearts. And we pray for that day when the morning star will rise over Buffalo. When the morning star will rise over little Uvalde, Texas. For this is our hope, Romans 8, 39, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. God, we give thanks that in Christ Jesus, We have been loved, and we are loved, and we will be loved. That he is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that his love does not fail. It doesn't fail us, no matter what life brings us. It it will not fail those parents in Uvalde who know you well. As God, we pray your mercies upon our world, in our lives. We ask, O oh God, that you would remind us even today that our only comfort in life and in death is that we belong to our faithful Savior. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen.